coming up on the Sark Fighter podcast. And I don't like the thought that you're a loser if an illness kills you. Thoughts about what I've heard from you here on the Sark Fighter podcast. The next thing you know, there's four more nurses flying in the room and they're saying, we got to go to ICU. I'm like, what? We got to go to ICU now. Hello and welcome. This is episode 61 of the Sark Fighter podcast brought to you in part by a grant from Atire Pharma. If you have pulmonary sarcoidosis and are between the ages of 18 to 75, you may qualify for this new clinical trial. The Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research is excited to be partnering with Novartis for a research study to test an investigational treatment that may help those living with pulmonary sarcoidosis. This opportunity is not only taking place in the U.S., there are also international locations available. Visit www.stopsarcoidosis.org to learn more and see if you qualify. For participating international locations, check out clinicaltrials.gov and then search sarcoidosis CMK 389. And there will be a link in the show notes to make this easier for you if you're looking for direct contact via stopsarcoidosis.org. Hi guys, this is John Carlin. I do this podcast to offer fellow SARC fighters hope and to help you connect with other SARC patients to hear their stories and understand how sarcoidosis affects their lives, and hopefully that helps you understand what you are up against, what you need to overcome, whether it's the disease or the side effects from the medicine or both. Uh, and I can tell you that today we are going to talk about expectations. And uh, I, I'm going to take a little bit of a deep dive into expectations and how you expect your life to go how sarcoidosis has undoubtedly changed your path and how you are meeting up with those expectations. And I'm going to give you a little bit of a riff on that today. And we're going to actually hear some of the key sound bites that I've gathered over time from some of the people who have been on the podcast. And then I'm actually going to take a a little bit of an amateur dive into the psychology of expectations and how that can lead to resentment. Just a couple of things that I have to remind you about every single time because I think this is important to to make sure everybody understands that this is a place where we all gather, that people have said over and over they feel like they are alone in their fight with sarcoidosis. There's somewhere around 200,000 of us in the United States alone um, and, and worldwide, that's a larger number. But uh, even with 200,000, if you divide that up among 50 states, that means there's thousands in every state. And yet people feel like uh, they don't know anybody else who has sarcoidosis. There's, there's no, one to talk about, uh, no one to talk to about it. And so I think that uh, there is uh, a value to the podcast, and I've heard over and over from you that, it, that there is, um, and that the podcast gives you a reason for hope. 
So uh, that's that's why this podcast is here. That's why I do the Sark Fighter podcast. Normally, I do release this every other Monday, and so far that has been the case. And as I record, once again, my trusty dog, Dougal, my rescue boxer, is curled up on the chair in my office. And Dougal is one of those things that just makes my life so much better. I want to remind you about a couple of uh, episodes that are very popular. Uh, And if you're a new listener, you may not know what's going on here. So go back and listen to, uh, first of all, there's a couple of bonus episodes that I did in conjunction with the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Uh, So there's a bonus episode on sarcoidosis and COVID, another bonus episode on dealing with prednisone, and then there's the most recent bonus episode about the universal barriers that we all face with sarcoidosis, but actually how there are even more barriers for some people, depending upon their background or simply where they live. And it's a very interesting perspective. So go back and, and just look at the at the bonus episodes. Um, also, if you're new here and you're just trying to figure out what sarcoidosis is, try listening to episode two with Dr. Simon Hart. My story, if you want to know what's going on with me and how sarcoidosis kind of slammed into my life, go back and listen to episode one. And then the backstory to the founding of the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research, which is uh, a partner organization with the Sark Fighter podcast. Go back and listen to episode 11 with Andrea and Redding Wilson, who started FSR. And Andrea um, has really been beset with sarcoidosis and yet has made a wonderful life and uh, has, has really been a person who inspired me and all of us uh, when she and her husband, Redding, just sat down at their kitchen table and said, there is no foundation. There's nobody dealing with sarcoidosis in the United States. Let's start one. And episode 11, uh, we hear from Andrea and Redding, and they talk about how they did it. And now some 21 years later, uh, it is the world's leading organization in dealing with sarcoidosis, and it's led to all sorts of breakthroughs. And and, uh, you know from the researchers that I've interviewed here, and I'm scheduling another one with a researcher from UCLA coming up in June um, that that there are, are breakthroughs and that scientists are starting to figure out a little bit more about sarcoidosis. And every time they find a trigger, that leads to the opportunity to find uh, a way to come up with uh, ways to deal with the disease. By the way, if you're interested in being on the Sark Fighter podcast, I'd love to hear from you. Love to share people's stories, and I'm also always looking for caregiver stories, the people who take care of those of us with sarcoidosis. And so uh, maybe you have uh, a significant other or someone in your life who has made your fight with SARC, um, if we're going to call it that, uh, somehow tolerable. Maybe we can talk to your caregiver. I've had a couple of those on. But I do appreciate your interest in the Sark Fighter podcast. And so if you would, if you would just share it on your social media, that really, really makes uh, makes this reach more people. And it just makes it seem more worthwhile to do everything. But now I want to get back. I want to get back to expectations. And I'm going to take a deep dive into this. All right. So let me tell you about the inspiration that I have gotten from some of the people that I've talked to on the podcast. In my previous podcast, 
we heard from Jack Bepley of Chicago, who suffers from cardiac sarcoidosis. So all these nurses are running around me, and I have one nurse just staring at me, and I'm staring at her. And she goes, hello? And I say, hello back, and she jumps backwards. So apparently I found out later that when my, I think my heart rate was like 180, 200, something very high. Mm-hmm. And apparently when it's, it's that um, high, you're, you're coding. And so they're not used to anybody being conscious when this happens. Jack became philosophical during our discussion because he wasn't certain that he was going to make it. When I'm sitting there and I'm watching those monitors and I'm watching my heart trying to get back to where it was, this abnormal state, I said a prayer of thanks. I said, thank you for the great life I had. You know, please watch my over my wife. Please watch over my girls. I'm not the type of person to sit there and beg and plead. I just, so I, I said a prayer of thanks. Mm-hmm. And because I've been thankful for all the, you know, the great opportunities I've had. At that point, doctors had not figured out that it was sarcoidosis. They have to go underneath your rib cage and up and then break the sac around the heart, then try to do the ablation that way, which is a much, much more tricky operation. So Jack would go on to have a serious procedure done where he would be in the operating room for five hours. And during that time, doctors removed numerous spots from his heart, which was sarcoidosis. And they saw some more, but they told him that they thought it was best not to stress his body any further. So they closed him up. But it's now been just over a year since that procedure. And Jack's been doing pretty well. He's getting active again. But he says he will never return to his Boston Marathon form. And simple things like walking to work have become doable, but uh, that's about the best he can say. So he walks several blocks when he gets off. I think it's the train. And he said he used to just be passing everybody. He was the fastest walker out there. And he took pride in that because he was such a fitness guy, right? And he wrote back to me to say that, yeah, he still does it, but now everybody's passing him. Now, and as I said last time, Jack's story and my own are very similar. We both depend upon our basically outdoor workouts to manage our lives. That's where we think about solutions to whatever life is throwing at us, our assignments at work, managing our schedules, you know, family situations, whatever it is. And without the opportunity to do that, I don't find that I manage life quite as well. And Jack was saying that it was the same thing. And that's why he was so willing to have open heart surgery, basically, so that he could get back to that life. So he was not going to take sarcoidosis lying down, literally. And that's why he he decided to move forward. Now, I don't want to say that without the ability to do these outdoor things, that life is not worth living. But I can tell you that after talking to Jack and in my own experience, that we will never be happy as couch potatoes. So speaking of that, back in episode 35, I talked with Janet Makoviak, who lives out west in Taos, New Mexico, in ski country. She moved there for the skiing, but Sark made her life miserable to the point where skiing was all but impossible. I was carrying this like nine pound oxygen tank in a backpack. (laughs) And skiing. But I I think the message, John, is that this disease 
can stop you in your tracks and make you not do the things you love. And I am trying to find workarounds every step of the way. And I think you're the same way of doing the things you love as much as you can. I shared with her that I had tried skiing for the first time since my open spine surgery that diagnosed my SARC. But that left me with neuropathy in my lower body. It's made me kind of clumsy compared to my previous self. But I was able to return to the slopes and ski better than I expected. And I'm an accomplished skier. I grew up, I spent many weekends in Vermont and in central New York and, and far upstate New York, Lake Placid. And I skied just about every weekend from my mid-teens through my early 20s, certainly through the end of college, and then for a couple of years beyond that in, in West Virginia. Um, and Janet wrote me an email to say, John, and this is at the end of this season, okay, she says, John, quote, I clocked 19 days, albeit short days, with my oxygen on my back. She says, maybe we should organize a sarcoidosis ski outing. And Janet, I want to tell you that is something that I could go for. Um, and I, you know, I think about that with the cycling. Uh, and I'm just wondering how many of you are active enough that maybe we could do an event centered around some outdoor activity in a fun place, cycling or skiing, maybe hiking. I don't know. Um, you know, walking or running is always out there. There's lots of events and pre pandemic, there were lots of people organizing 5Ks and so forth as fundraisers for the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. But maybe we could do something involving, I just, I don't, I just think cycling or skiing are more fun than running. So maybe maybe we could get something together. Maybe we'll get a little momentum and, and maybe get that going. But then I want to talk to you about people like Juliet Coffer in the United Kingdom. She was on the show back in episode 42. So as soon as I stand up, my percentage of oxygen on a finger monitor will drop down to about 80, 82 as soon as I stand up. So by the if I'm not on oxygen and I walk five meters from my seat here into the kitchen to make breakfast, I'm completely out of breath and I have no oxygen. I'm giddy. I'm lightheaded. Um, I'm puffing. I'm panting. Um, so I don't walk very far in a day um, because it's, it's too difficult. And so Juliet has really had a tough go of it. You know, here we are talking about skiing and cycling and so forth. And Juliet um, is, you know, having a hard time just walking around her house or her yard. Uh, but this April, she was back at it for Sarcoidosis Awareness Month. She put out an email describing just how bad her lungs are right now. And remember, before, it was a triumph just to get from her bedroom to her kitchen. But now she writes in her email, quote, I'm more determined than ever to set myself a new challenge for 2022 Sarcoidosis Awareness Month in April, which is just passed. This year, Sarcoidosis UK have a Build Your Own Marathon campaign inspired by my determination last year to show anyone can create their own challenge to fundraise. Those of you who know me know I never give up. My lungs continue to deteriorate, and I find myself more disabled than I ever imagined I could be, but I'm not dead yet. Wow, right? So she continues, what's my challenge this year? Currently, I cannot make it downstairs, so it's me, the bedroom, bathroom, and upstairs hallway. 
I'm lucky if I'm able to cover 30 meters in a day. Like last year, I'll be challenging myself in April to double what I walk daily, an extra 35 meters or five laps per day in my hallway in what I'm calling the hallway hike, as I'm sure it'll feel like that. Roll on on April 1st. Now, I should mention that Juliet is working with Sarcoidosis UK, and I've had uh, some of the leadership of Sarcoidosis UK right here on the show. It's similar to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research, uh, Research here in the United States. And, of course, I'm still amazed that the Sark Fighter podcast has international listeners. When I started this, I wasn't sure if I'd have any listeners. So I, I've emailed Juliet to get an update on her progress. It is As I'm recording this, it's actually May 2nd. So April has come and gone. I wished I would have had the time and the foresight to have Juliet on the podcast during April. It just didn't, it just didn't work out. I have, I've had too many oars in the water, if you will. Uh, but I have emailed her and I'll update you soon on Juliet's progress and give I will give you a link to her information and her story, which, by the way, has been carried by national media in the UK. But the last she wrote, she was on pace to complete her hallway hike. Let's talk about expectations then, shall we? I want to talk about how expectations for life with sarcoidosis can make us happy or sad. And I will um, posit that it's kind of up to us, all right? In the examples we just heard, Jack, Janet, and Juliet were all determined to continue with some semblance of their lives before sarcoidosis. They needed that to find fulfillment and perhaps happiness, contentedness. They expected their life would be one way, and then came sarcoidosis, and life took a turn. So again, I'm I'm not a psychologist, but I've talked to a lot of people here. Uh, I am somewhat philosophical about this, and I've I've just done a little googling and reading, and there is a saying that psychologists use as follows: "Quote: Expectations are premeditated resentments." Wow, that is that is deep. But if I'm translating that properly, I think if you expect things to go a certain way and they don't, you will be resentful. Now, often this applies to another person. You do something for that person or for a group of people. And as a result of your hard work and your energies, you expect them to be happy as a result of what they did. You give them a gift. Maybe you throw them a party. Maybe it's an act of service. You, you clean the house. Whatever it is, you do something for somebody, but they're not as happy as you expect. So you become resentful that your sacrifice and hard work on their behalf isn't getting a reaction perhaps as big as you wanted or expected. So you get angry. You get resentful right? So all of us probably can relate to that in one way or another. So here's a small example of expectations and resentment from me in my life yesterday. And this is a very small story, but I was mad as hell. Okay. So let me tell you what happened. Mary and I had just finished a bike ride, my wife and I, 
and we saw the grandkids and we got back home. We got caught in the rain. We were kind of cold. We were hungry. And she said, why don't you run down to the store? It's a convenience store near our house that has a small, let's calling it a deli would be an exaggeration, but they sell food in a corner of the convenience store. She said, go down and get us some barbecue and, and, you know, a, a lunch special and bring it back home because that was easy. It was quick. It was kind of comfort food and we were cold and wet. And I said, yeah, that'll be perfect. So I walk into the store and there's a guy behind the counter who kind of grumpily says, can I help you? And I said, yeah, um, I'd like to have a couple of barbecue sandwiches and, and, and a side of macaroni and cheese. He said, you can't you just cut me off. He said, you can't. I'm thinking, well, what do you mean that I can't? He said, you can't have a barbecue sandwich and, and the sides. And I said, what? And I just stared at him. And he just stared back at me. And we're in this, like, standoff for a very uncomfortable, like, 20 seconds. And eventually I said, okay, help me out here. He's like, I can't help you out. And I said, why? And he said, because I don't know what you want. And I said, well, clearly I want a lunch special and you've told me I can't have barbecue sandwiches with the lunch special. So can I have a barbecue platter on the lunch special? He said, oh yeah, you can have that. So apparently the way the lunch special is set up and they've got a, a menu up there, you can have, and they, you know, they've got sides of green beans, macaroni and cheese, baked beans, kind of typical that you see in, in a restaurant where they've got a bunch of things in stainless steel bins and they just scoop it out with a ladle. And I wanted, I wanted a lunch special. And he was not going to give it to me with a barbecue sandwich. I had to have the barbecue platter. But what made me mad was that he was not going to explain that to me when clearly I didn't understand how the deal worked. So eventually I said, okay, I'll have the barbecue platter with a side of green beans and a side of mac and cheese. And I'll have two of those, please. And so he, and then he just like wouldn't talk to me. He wouldn't make eye contact. <laughs> he was just, he was not meeting my expectations. He was not even beginning to fulfill what I expected him to do, which was A, to be cheerful because clearly I was confused. There was no doubt that I was confused and he cut me off mid-sentence and abruptly, which sort of set me back a step because I had started out to say, I'll have two barbecue sandwiches and a side of mac and cheese and a side of green beans. He said, you can't, you can't have that. Maybe I'm overreacting, but he wasn't courteous, number one. And I expect people who are serving others to be that way. Notice the keyword there, I expect. That is my expectation. So he wasn't that. And then clearly, I didn't understand why I couldn't have the barbecue sandwich and get my two sides, and he just wouldn't explain it. He was looking at me, and I was looking at him. So he was either being stupid, all right, because he couldn't figure it out, or he was being deliberately belligerent, neither one of which meets my expectations. If he's behind the counter, he's in public service, he is a server, it's his job to be nice and to at least understand that some customers won't know how the lunch special works. So my expectation in this case caused resentment. 
And then I was mad because something so simple had made me mad. I'm like, why am I letting this get to me? And for like, I just brooded over it for the next half hour. Right? And that was, you know, I just finished a bike ride. I was cold and wet, but I was happy that I did it. And now I'm brooding because my expectation led to resentment. Okay, so why am I telling you my long story about my bad barbecue experience? Well, imagine when we expect our lives to go one way and then sarcoidosis shows up and our expectations for the entire rest of our lives go off the tracks, right? So how do you manage that? I mean, what do you do about it? You, you expect, you know, I have always been, in most cases, the fittest person in the room. I've always been able to, I've been reasonably nimble. I played point guard when I played basketball back in the day. Um, I, you know, I, I could jump, I could run, I could do stuff, right? And, and everybody that you've heard the examples today on the podcast, they could do stuff, right? And all of a sudden you can't do stuff. So your expectation for how your life is going to go has been completely changed. It's taken a hard turn because of sarcoidosis. So how do you, how do you manage that? First of all, I recommend going to therapy. Most of us, uh, most of the people that I have interviewed, including myself, have done this. And I will add that a lot of the medications we take for sarcoidosis have terrible side effects, which make us irritable. And prednisone, which 90 to 95% of us all have taken at one point or another, uh, is the worst for this. It causes a hair trigger. And so if you have certain expectations and they're not met when you're living your normal life, you might just swallow it and go on and just be broody or moody or mad, but you don't really share that with anybody else. And that can be, I had a situation with a coworker. She once rearranged everything on my desk because she thought that that would make my desk look better because we had some top management from the ownership of our company coming in. Well, I had set my desk up in a certain way because I wanted them to think a certain way of me. She had moved everything thinking that I had made it look messy, but I was trying to send a message because I had all this outdoor stuff on my desk and I wanted people in key places to see it because I wanted them to think of me as the outdoor employee and I won't get all sidetracked, but I got so mad, but I was taking like 70 milligrams of prednisone. I didn't talk to this person for like weeks and she was my friend, right? And, but prednisone just gave me that hair trigger. My expectation was not met. And then you added prednisone to it and I could not get over it. I talk, I, And this was when I was in therapy. I talked to my therapist about it. I said, I know I'm overreacting. I know that what she did was meant to be, you know, in the best possible way. She did it for, for good reasons, but it, it, and I just couldn't get over it. I mean, finally I did, right? And, and, you know, things went on. We are great friends today. I've apologized a hundred million times. I feel terrible, terrible about it to this day. And But I can attribute that to prednisone. That would have been maybe a momentary thing that I wouldn't have said anything about. And instead it lasted for weeks, right? So, but but that was prednisone and the hair trigger because with prednisone, you just say what's on your mind, Right. So if your expectations aren't met and you're on prednisone, well, forget about it. Everybody's going to know about it, and it makes you a butthead. Uh, I'm not because I'm not going to cuss, but because 
let's face it, uh, the pe- people around us just have to walk on eggshells. So I'm not a therapist, but philosophically, I've had many people on the show who approach how they deal with this resentment because of their expectations going afoul and they do it in a, in a couple of different ways. So I anticipated one life, I wound up with another, and I can only have peace if I'm okay with that. So if you decide that the best way to peace is to just go with the flow, go with what sarcoidosis gives you, and not necessarily fight back. And fight is the key word. If you fall into that camp, you might want to go back and listen to episode 41 with nationally known writer Rebecca Stanfill. I think we all have different thought for how we deal with everything in our life. And what I'm saying right now, I do not mean as a judgment against you or anyone who likes to use images of war thinking about illness. It's something that was very important to my thinking about illness as well for over a decade. You know, as I said, I got diagnosed when Andrew was three months old. And the first thought that came into my head was, I'm going to beat this. I'm going to fight this. I'm going to live to see my son grow up. And I had doctors who told me otherwise. You know, I had an electrophysiologist. My son was nine, ten months old. um, Say, you know, oh, you could drop dead at any moment. He would say very casually. And uh, when Andrew was two or three, I had another doctor say, well, you're not going to live to see your son graduate from high school, but at least you know what you're going to die of. Like a lot of people don't have that. And he offered this to me as a sort of comfort. So for me, the stakes were very high. The stakes are very high for all of us. Life is something we want to hold on to. And I think in our culture, when the stakes are high, we turn to the language of war, right? We have the war on drugs. We have the war on cancer. Lyndon Johnson had the war on poverty. And I think what war conveys is you're giving it everything that you've got. um, And it's very important. And this is something that I, I thought this way too, for a decade, you know, at the time I had a, a therapist, she was a little old lady who was a cancer survivor, um, you know, a former beatnik, And she would tell me when I would go in for my cytoxin, she would say, I want you to visualize every molecule of that chemo going into your body as a nuclear warhead that's going to, you know, destroy the problem that's going on. This is a beatnik telling you this. Yeah. And a cancer Mm -hmm. woman who lived through cancer. And all of this time I'm fighting the disease, right? I'm tired, but I'm going to fight to get out of bed. I'm going to fight to be with my son. I'm going to fight to make it down the stairs to dinner. You know, I'm going to fight to watch a television show. What happens if you fight and you can't do it? How do you feel about yourself then? So one day I was getting cytoxin and my body reacted to it horribly. So I had to get like huge doses of IV Benadryl. And I'm sitting there in my Benadryl haze watching the, the stuff drip into me slowly. And I'm thinking about what my therapist had said you know, that this is like, it's war. I'm going to win this war. And I had this epiphany. And I think this is especially true for a disease where it's your own immune system is a component. Like I am both the aggressor and I am the battlefield. So I'm dropping these nuclear warheads into my body. And yet I am the field into which they land. And I just, that kind of put me on this path of, of thinking about how do we as individuals and how do we as a society think about illness? 
And this is clearly not something that's unique to sarcoidosis. You know, if you read most obituaries where someone has died of any kind of illness, cancer, uh, Alzheimer's, multiple sclerosis, COVID, they'll say, you know, so-and-so fought valiantly and he lost his battle with blah. And I don't like the thought that you're a loser if an illness kills you. Now, Rebecca makes a good case for not using the word fight as a way to approach a life with a chronic disease like sarcoidosis. And I have heard that that confrontation terminology is not accepted in other areas of healthcare. It's even shunned. So cancer patients don't like to say they are fighting cancer, for instance. Um, And that community doesn't like to use the warrior or fighter terminology. And Rebecca makes a really strong case for her approach to dealing with expectations uh, and changing expectations and meeting expectations and accepting sarcoidosis on its terms. And if that is the way that you can find peace, then I certainly think that is what you should do. Um, And to a certain extent, I think that all of us accept sarcoidosis and the way it has changed our bodies and our lives for what it is. But I still see sarcoidosis as a challenge to be overcome to whatever extent it can be. So Janet Makoviak is determined to ski even if she needs to wear an oxygen tank. Jack Bepley underwent risky open-heart surgery rather than accept a life on the couch without exercise, without paddling his canoe in the critical wilderness in Canada. And Juliet is doing laps in her hallway because she is determined to do as much as she can for as long as she can, right? Now, personally, I ride my bike, and I am determined to do this, and I will be determined to do it as long as I can, Uh, I ride a minimum of 100 miles a month. I've gone through two rounds of the elimination diet with coaching from dietitian and nutritionist Lindsay Norenberg, who's been on the show, and her husband, Sark Fighter Ryan, who's also been on the Sark Fighter podcast and is very physically active and determined to continue playing tennis and being active. But I've I have, and a lot of you have talked about this, and I know it's one of the things that that FSR talks about, is how do you change your diet, right? So if you've been a person your whole life who ate cheeseburgers and french fries, but you're fighting back against sarcoidosis because you're going to become vegan or vegetarian or doing as Lindsay recommends and Ryan does, and I have done twice, I do it as sort of a cleanse, but using the elimination diet and taking all of these triggers out of your diet, if you're willing to give up your cheeseburgers and your French fries, you know, maybe that's something. And to a certain extent, I have done that. I do fall off the wagon occasionally, just for me talking about eating the barbecue, right, and the mac and cheese. No way that's on the elimination diet. Um, But on days when I can, I eat as cleanly as I can, and in part, that's to avoid sarcoidosis triggers. And that's one of the things that I, from one of the coaching things that I've gotten from Lindsay. So to me, that's a way of fighting back. And I work out with a trainer, which I absolutely hate 
because he forces me to focus on the areas of my body, which I've told him to do, where I've sort of lost sensation because of the spinal cord damage that I've had from sarcoidosis. So if I don't work on my core, my core doesn't normally do the things that everybody's body does just from walking around or being active or whatever, and I get very weak. And so I do whatever I can to get the most out of whatever I have left. And I will tell you that I think fighting back by going on Tuesdays with my, with my trainer, Brian, has made me stronger. And to me, that's fighting sarcoidosis. So that makes me a sarcoidosis warrior. And that's been my approach. So my expectation is that I will do whatever I can to fight it and that I will continue to do those things that make me happy. Now, yes, uh, I have accepted my new normal. I won't be running any more marathons, but I can still do difficult things, the achievement of which matches my expectations. At least it has so far. But I do, I do set out to do reasonable things. Last, last summer... I, uh, I hiked Angel's Landing at Zion National Park, um, which, you know, you know, there were lots of people there doing it, um, people that I would not have thought were fit enough to do it just with the eyeball test, and forgive me for that. But, I mean, for instance, there was a small child there, and he did it. Of course, everybody applauded him when he got to the top, uh, but he was probably eight or nine years old. Um, and you know, so, but to me, I wanted to do it. I wanted to overcome this sort of clumsiness that I have. And this is a difficult hike where you hold on to chains and you're kind of clinging to the side of a cliff. Uh, but it's something that tourists can do. You don't have to be a mountain climber to do it. But when I did it, it met it met my expectation. That made me feel good for weeks, for weeks, because I was able to achieve that and and meet my own expectation. Now. Maybe that's easy for me because I haven't had a flare since 2018, and I'm talking to you in 2022, um, and I've been on medications since 2020 that have not messed with me the way my medications did all the way through 2019, and, and I've talked about prednisone, and then I took a chemo drug called Cytoxin for a good part of the year. Um, but in the back of my mind, I know that I can still have another flare, right? And I'm trying to prepare for that eventuality, but I can tell you it will not be easy to live with me if I return to a life that does not include these pursuits that I have talked about. So managing expectations is key. Understanding that if you have an expectation and it's not met, that causes resentment. In minor ways, like my barbecue story, that can happen on a day-to-day basis. But when it's something like the whole rest of your life, well, then you've got to find a way to manage that expectation and deal with that expectation. You can choose to go with the flow or you can choose to fight back. And I think both of those are ways that you can deal with sarcoidosis. Now, I'm being somewhat philosophical this week because I'm headed to the Cleveland Clinic for my annual checkup. That's seven hours from my home in Roanoke, Virginia. So while I'm there, I'll see two doctors and I'll get an MRI. And because of the way I'm feeling walking around, I expect it, expect it, keyword, to be no worse 
than it was a year ago. I don't expect them to find any progression of sarcoidosis. And right now, as I'm sitting here talking to you a couple of days out from those tests, I am hoping that my keyword expectations don't turn to resentment. I want that MRI to be fine, just like I wanted that server in the gas station to tell me without me having to stare him down why I couldn't have the barbecue sandwich for lunch. So let's just hope it goes better with the MRI. I do have to tell you that I get inspiration and I hope everybody gets inspiration from the stories that you have shared here on the podcast, whether it's Jack or whether it's Janet or whether it's Ryan or whether it's Juliet or any of the many other people that I've interviewed here on the podcast who have been willing to share their stories. So if need be, after my, uh, my situation this week, after my testing this week, I will reset expectations. And then after uh, probably what could be a long period of resentment, uh, I will continue to fight because I think it's better to fight than to accept. But that's just me. Until next time, thanks for listening and keep fighting.
Fear darken you, and whatever.